Hello and welcome to Don't Shoot the Deputies, a podcast run by two deputy heads living on opposite sides of the country. Steve, are you keeping well? Keeping well, thanks Russell. Enjoying the half term. Our Facebook group has really picked up over the last week or two. Get about 3,000 new members in the space of a couple of days. So that's kept us very busy. Um, and if anyone doesn't know, we've been sharing a lot of resources at the moment, in particular some mass resources. Um, if you want to come over and head in and check out the resources, please feel free and we'll hopefully see you there. Brilliant. And that group is called Make an Impact Education. If you've not been over there before, do come and join us. Well, after a brief digression in our last episode, when we had a bit of a catch up about the first half term of this academic year, today we now pick back up our subject specific episodes with a conversation about science. Now, we came across our guest on Twitter, and I feel that her feed is a real feast of pedagogical reflections, and her expertise in science is what we needed today. She's a teacher, senior leader, and fellow of the Primary Science Teaching Trust, who happens also to be doing a PhD on the side. Uh, I think we're well covered today with our guest, Beth Budden. Welcome to the podcast, Beth. Oh, hello, hello. I'm really pleased to be here. Can we start by, if you can tell us a bit about your career, why science has become a key feature of it, and um, if you can give us a bit more knowledge about the PhD you're doing. Okay, yeah, so I've been teaching about 20 years. I was an LSA before I started teaching, so teaching about 15 years in Lewisham. And basically, uh, second, third year, I think, I got given this science folder, um, and can you be science coordinator? And I was why what (laughs) and from there i just realized my own understanding of how to teach science was sort of not there non-existent and i had to just work it out try and access as much cpd as i could it was an uphill battle but then i kind of got to grips with it did the primary science quality mark which i think is fantastic i would recommend it and before i knew it i think this was 2014 i got nominated for this science teacher of the year which sounds grander than it is because lots of people get that in the year and I became a fellow of the primary science teaching trust fantastic organization and then I did a bit of consultancy for Lewisham Borough helping schools with assessing science and 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 when the new curriculum came in sort of talking about the changes and then as I went forward a little bit more obviously cognitive load theory and all these new things came along which kind of blew my mind changed a lot of my thinking and before I knew it I was kind of blogging mainly for clarity for myself actually I blog for myself it helps me sort of work out what I think and then um, as I got going got really interested in reading papers research I did my degree in education actually so I kind of I've always had that interest in the academic side and then this year I've started I thought well actually I want to research science teaching further and get some sort of teeth into it for myself. So that's really where I am. That's great. That's great. So you just mentioned your blog there, and I really like your blog, Beth. I find it really interesting and it's kind of research driven. Um, but I've noticed that you've got this real interesting cognitive science, which you've mentioned, and you seem willing to challenge some of the perhaps conventional views about how we should teach or how we should teach science. Mm-hmm. And in your recent blog about seduction in lessons, um, you sort of suggested there could be damage done there. Can you tell us more about the thinking behind that blog in particular and how it relates to the teaching of science? So first of all, that's from a paper that's by Harp and Mayer, I can't, I, you can look it up on my blog. So I, I'm, I'm looking at someone else's research and thinking about it. So I always want to, you know, when you get into academia, you always state your sort of sources. And what this paper is about is science textbooks, actually. And 
how science on a page, how you present that can actually divert pupils thinking, students thinking. So I thought, well, you know, taking taking science on a page, well, what about science in a lesson when you're when you're introducing it? And um, I thought, well, actually seductive details, that links to cognitive load, what comes into a lesson that is actually extraneous content, which you don't need, which is actually divert children thinking about what you want them to think about. I love that phrase from Daniel William, which is, you know, memory is the residue of thought. Is that right? I think I got it. Yeah, bang on. <laughs> so that's about making sure that children are thinking about what you want them to think about. And in that paper, he talks about how when, you're, when a child is confronted with information, they've got to choose to select that information. So that's like attentional focus. They've got to organise that information cognitively and integrate that into their existing schema. And lots can get in the way of that process in a lesson. Mm. There's basic distraction. How do you present information? How do you talk about it? And in the blog, I'm sort of thinking about all the things that come into a lesson. And I'm, I'm a natterer. Got to watch what you say. I love an anecdote, you know, because when, when you give an, an anecdote to children, they brighten up. They go, oh, yeah, it makes them interest. But actually, planning what you're going to say or at least thinking around your explanations it's really important in science because I think generally in primary school, teachers haven't got a science background. I don't have a science mm -hmm. background. I'm holding my hands up there. And so you can easily kind of not have that clarity in the knowledge that you want to sort of convey and talk about. So the seductive details creep in there, take the attention away. Even how you present something and how an image you use, it's important to think carefully about whether that matches the content mm. or whether it's something that you want to, children to go wow and it engages them because i actually my fundamental idea and i'm taking a bit of paul kirshner's ideas here which is that knowledge itself is engaging mm. you don't really need the bells and whistles well i know you need a hook i'm not against that kind of thing i'm not against those kind of hook points that you have at the start of lessons and things like that but they can't drive children's engagement in science it has to be the knowledge and it's fantastic mm. when you learn something in science for the first time it, it, you know i'm i'm that person that probably i left school at 16 it took me ages to get into what i wanted to do mm. but i didn't know much mm. i don't think i even knew how the seat what what's how did you get seasons mm. i just i read a paper that actually 30 percent of it students teaching students can't explain seasonal change wow the tilt of the earth and all of that it's really interesting isn't it mm. so seductive details is about thinking really carefully about how you present your information to children i think that's really well explained and you know you got me thinking there steve we see it on on the facebook group not so much on our group but on other groups and people um leaving comments you often see teachers say things like i'm about to teach and it could be in any subject you know a certain topic any ideas to make this fun or any ideas to make this interesting mm. and i just want to shout teach it because it yeah. is interesting teaching yeah. with passion enthusiasm and zeal and and, and perhaps they don't feel that natural enthusiasm and zeal and, and maybe that comes back to confidence in subject knowledge as you've sort of hinted yeah. at there because 
I know once I really know something, I've had to write a lot of unit overviews for, for units at school um, for our curriculum. Once I've done that, I do feel more fired up because I think I can talk about this with confidence. I don't need to dress mm -hmm. it up or put some separate distraction on the board to take away from my lack of knowledge. So I wonder whether there's a bit of a bit of uh, subject knowledge sort of um, lacking there for people. And that's why they I reach think for there that. Is. I think that we have to, as a teaching profession, we have to hold our hands up and say, as primary school teachers we're generalists mm. and not a lot mm. of primary school teachers do a science degree and the pedagogy behind it is also something else it's just not it's not just knowledge you need to know about pedagogy as well and so i think there's not enough understanding the science knowledge base and how to teach it how you confront misconceptions and conceptual and how you bring about conceptual change I mean, I don't know what your teacher training was like, but can you remember your science input? Very sparse, I was going to say. As a PGCE <laughs> student, it was pretty much going in and doing the occasional experiment, but really sparse and kind of, it didn't tell you how to deliver science or, or improve yeah. your academia around it. Just going to say, I, I have to admit, for mine, I, I can literally remember one sort of practical session where we had a big block of ice and some food colouring dye, <laughs> and I'm not really sure, thinking back, <laughs> why, um, or what I what I learned about the teaching of science. I think quite. Um, I don't want to criticise. Um, but if you think that, the children would think that. It wouldn't it be good if they taught taught you what the knowledge was before, and said, right, this is the crux of the domain knowledge that we're going to be doing. Mm. Let's have a look at it, mm. but get that solid first. One sort of comparison for people to help them think about this more is if you imagine, I know it's a completely different subject, something like geography here now, but if, if, if you went to a really important um, sort of place in the world, perhaps a, a cathedral or a city or somewhere, and you knew absolutely nothing about it, you might just stare at it and go, oh, okay, that's nice, nice building or whatever. But if you know the background, the history, where it fits in, into the into that kind of nation and its um, significance you're, you're going to look at it and go, wow and it's going to really mean something and and that that's kind of the point you're making about science you're not saying are you that the practical things or those more hands-on things are are bad you're just saying there's a place in in the learning journey for those and it's perhaps after that key knowledge is there so that it actually means something mm -hmm. for the children yeah definitely that's part of what i want to actually research is the teaching sequences in primary science mm. Like you said, you know, having that bedrock of sort of knowledge beforehand is really important. It's definitely not to say that we can't do experimentation and child-led learning or child-led inquiry, but it's when. That's my kind of feeling. Because, you know, I've heard some horror sort of stories that this the, the knowledge acquisition approach has gone too far. Everything always goes too far in education. <laughs> Just the pendulum swings too far. And I know that some schools are sat down with worksheets and just doing they're not doing any practicals which is crazy you can't you know science you want children to understand the disciplines of science and you want them to be able to have but you know a scientist is an expert and we know through all of the theories that we've been talking about that not that novices and experts are different mm. and they need different things so that's really important and it's sometimes a bit unpopular to sort of say that because and that's going back to something we talked about before, which was the categories of knowledge and that primary knowledge is instinctive and you can learn it. And children do lead their own learning in most of what they learn for their life. They do. But when you get the kind of cultural knowledge, the site, that, that domain specific knowledge, it needs to be taught and it can't be picked up 
they're not going to understand gravity just by all the, the ideas behind that. It took a lot of a series of events, a long, long series of events and, and passing on knowledge. What is it Newton said, the shot on the shoulder of giants? Mm. Didn't mm. happen in a spark. We need to give the children those shoulders of the giants. Then they can absolutely let them explore and make a mess, but at the right time. I would say this leads on to our next point, really. One of the things we speak about in all our subject-specific podcasts is the disciplines that underpin a subject. Uh, what would you say are the key disciplines of science um, that we need to be teaching our children? How do we best incorporate them into our lessons? Well, obviously, you've got this idea that science is about poking about and finding things out. But a big part of that is observing. I don't know if you know about the five types of investigation in science. So, you know, you've got pattern seeking, observing over time, identifying and classifying, fair testing and research. Those are really important for teachers to understand those five types of inquiries. And there's a very good book called It's Not Fair, which is all about how that unfolds. But I think that understanding how a scientist works is that they're working from a knowledge base. It's not that they don't know anything. A very important part of science, I think, is modelling scientific thinking. So there's something called like cognitive apprenticeship, which I've really thought, which is really interesting, which is that modeling that thinking of a scientist and how they find their way is really important for children because then they're then they're understanding the way they need to think you're you're unraveling those sort of hidden implicit processes behind what you're doing in science does that make any sense yeah absolutely well it's really funny because there's a real parallel here to the conversation we had with mark enter about a geography inquiry where he was saying i don't just give them google and say go discover i don't know the reasons for poverty in south america whatever he would structure heavily scaffold an inquiry around a key question um, based on some existing prior knowledge here across the unit and that's exactly what you're saying for science here aren't you that actually i'm not just letting go and going go go investigate you're talking Mm -hmm. about a process that is built on some some prior knowledge and understanding and this that really sort of makes me think about my early career where I I definitely didn't think like that in my science lessons I might have just set up an investigation and I almost saw it as bad teaching if I even hinted yeah. at what might happen where actually that's ludicrous because yes. scientists would never go I wonder what's going to happen let's just leave it to chance you would you make a sensible prediction based on prior knowledge and if you yeah. and uh, teachers will often say won't they oh the kids can't do predictions they because mm-hmm. they don't know what's likely to happen well if they don't know what's likely to happen we're probably not ready for the investigation yet would you say that's yeah, fair? absolutely see the thing is it's all like you said it's almost kind of seen as a bit not great pedagogy to model an investigation don't give it away reveal don't reveal i mean that can't be right at this stage when they're so young whereas actually modeling and modeling the thinking behind it of investigating what you're trying to learn and making it really clear of the steps and how to use the equipment and what you're thinking at each stage that that's that's really going to set some children up i mean what what you have and my big thing is sort of social justice as well is often you get children who are very highly knowledgeable in their experience of the world and they're able to carry that because they know kind of a lot of stuff anyway. And what you have is other children are just kind of caught up in the 
trying to manage the the the, the discovery and the and the kind of messing around, and they don't learn a lot. It is possible for children to to be doing a lot in science, but not learn much. So I think the modelling, and the, I know that you know, it feels a bit like oh we're trying to control everything, you know. When I started teaching, it was like no no you're the guide on the side. I hate that phrase, but actually it's okay to sometimes be centre stage. It's important to be centre stage modelling things and how equipment's used. So I think that part of it and 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 as children become more knowledgeable, fade out, let them explore, let them try different, answer their own questions. There's a definite place for that, but there's not a place for making a, a great big mess. You know, there's something I always see around schools is, you know, when let's go for a science walk and you see children walking about, where are you going? We're going for a science walk, science walk. And then you think that's, that's good. What are you learning? Um, but we're going on a science walk and it's kind of all about activity, isn't it? And that, you know, that's kind of a fundamental idea about the place of activity and learning because the real place for activity and learning is cognitively, isn't it? Mm. It's not behaviourally, but we focus so much on behaviour. If mm. they look like they're doing something, they must be learning something. Yeah, that's right. It comes back to that misconception about constructivism again, which we spoke about in previous episodes, that yeah. constructivism, yes, of course, children construct their own understanding, but do they do it best by just playing around and and that's the that's the kind of challenge here to people's thinking I think you know we were saying before we started recording people get quite annoyed when you challenge that because it's so embedded in the way we were taught I certainly believed it and when I was first sort of challenged on some of this stuff I found it really yeah I found it quite uncomfortable because I was the teacher that would look for the hook or the something Mm. engaging and special at the start of my lesson and I think the th- thing to keep coming back to is we're not talking, uh, you talked about the pendulum, about swinging to this dull, overly prescriptive style of learning. We're just saying, l- let's scaffold that learning mm-hmm. gradually, deliver it with as much enthusiasm and passion as we want to, or as we can do. But mm. actually, it's the content that's driving it, not not Absolutely. gimmicks and, and extra yeah. bits. Well, that takes, us, that takes us nicely on, Beth, because you were talking about um, a slightly different way of doing things there, and you were saying it's not all, you know, children can be very active, but not necessarily learning. So how do we um, judge and evaluate in schools what children have learned in science, do you think? Um, assessment is, I've been an assessment lead for years, and I actually find it the real thorn in my side. Like, it's something I've done because I'm kind of reasonably good with a spreadsheet, but it just drives me nuts, to be honest, because I see so much... Oh, I went to say stupid then, but I went to, I've seen so many daft things uh, around yeah. assessment that just make ridiculous workload for teachers. Like, Absolutely. how do we how do we judge what what kids have actually learnt in science? And if I was yeah. a science subject lead, and we'll have a fair few of those listening, I suspect, how do they best have a sense of the state of science in their school and how it's going? Well, first of all, I think you always have to go back to what is the purpose of the assessment. Who is it for? And if you're going to make it about accountability in primary science, it's not going to work because we've tried it so many times trying to get that right. So the real reason for assessment, it should be, is to guide your teaching and you're planning your next, what you need to do next. Other stuff, I know there's other stuff, the summative stuff, but we really want children to learn. So it's about that. So form ongoing formative assessment is that what we need to have for primary science. Not vast tick sheets, not 
I need to prove every little thing that this child's done in the book and it needs to match this table and I've got to show it to the lead and teachers just don't have time for that kind of thing. Mm. Let's be practical here. It's an afternoon lesson a lot of the time. You've tried to get it ready in your lunch. There's not the stuff in the cupboard. We've got to be really realistic about what this is like. So assess, assessing it and, and ticking a list and filling something in is the last thing. So put that aside. Now what? I think being really clear what you want them to achieve in a lesson the knowledge part and also with that what are the skills when you're going to do an investigation that you're looking out for and then look for them and if they if, if 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 you need to do things again go over them again there's a bit i'm a big fan of the little quizzes massive fan of those mm. and that's kids love them they absolutely love them so we're gonna have a little quiz at the start of our lesson recapping on what we did that's assessment as learning isn't it so so you're buying into that and te- trust teachers when they look across the room and they've done this thing and they can work out what's missing and what they need to go over again when they watch the children do their investigations oh actually that's something that we need to work on i'm going to model that in the next lesson i'm going to make that really clear what it means to make a prediction and 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 going to model that on my thinking how do you make a prediction so it should be ongoing formative assessment that is not accountable heavy and that when you when a when a science lead comes around that they can they okay the books are there but the books can't be everything talk to the children as well just so pleased you mentioned talking to the children beth because yes. it's something that i spent years not realizing was a really good idea <laughs> and uh, <laughs> if you're a if you're a subject lead and you speak to a small sample of children and not to catch their teachers out or to make anyone look bad but no. you can't fake it with kids you know if they, yeah. if they can talk about a subject with passion and enthusiasm and about what they've learned Absolutely. then you you're doing pretty well um, yeah. if they say we don't really do science in our class you're already could perhaps go <laughs> well you know getting the, getting their books and saying what did you learn in we've done electricity what did you, you know take a few kids sit around mm. the books what, what 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 did you do and you'll soon find out but don't yeah. pick all the children that can talk and talk the talk have a good range and that that's really important but i do i do worry about these systems and ticking and flow diagrams and getting teachers just you see their faces if you produce things like that i think what you said will make a lot of people happier in the sense of they don't need to do this tick sheet and that is what it eventually boils down to it is yeah. a tick sheet it's not benefiting <laughs> the children and um, beth this takes us to um the area of curriculum design and it's something we've looked at in various subject specific episodes uh, science is quite an interesting one, actually, because the content is more prescriptive than many of the other subjects, like geography. Um, but what would you advise you give to schools uh, that are in the process of tweaking their curriculum? Okay, I think you, you do need to have your, you know, your knowledge, but you need to have your skills. But you also need to track a progression in skills. Mm. You need to see what does it look like in year one, what does it look like in year two, and, and so on. As I've said using the five types of investigations that's a really important way to do that as well but design your curriculum so that there's revisiting so that teachers are aware of the what linked the the topics that the present topics link to so that they go right so we do materials in year whatever what was materials like in in that and what do we what do the children need to pick up on okay what were the skills that they were going to be learning um, in year two, what are we building on? Because you, we all know that if you just teach, 
and you don't build on anything, then you just stop these gaps and it's the foundations. So I would say build a curriculum around revisiting and circling back round and going forward in progression. And that will help for things to be, if you forget and revisit, we know that's a strong part of learning, isn't it? To go back and revisit. Oh yeah, I remember that. Do go back, make sure you've put in that progression and that teachers are aware that they need to look back on previous, mm. the, pre- the curriculums of other year groups yeah. to see those links. And that's built in like a, built, like a big jigsaw puzzle that you're sort of moving forward. I think that's great advice. And for science, that that should happen quite naturally because you have certain aspects of science that really are revisited just in increasing levels of complexity, don't you? Whether that be mm. plants or animals or yeah. whatever else, it's all there. Um, and actually, I like what you say about make sure teachers know that they're meant to revisit. So, you know, a simple thing we do in our unit overviews is the start of the unit there's a quiz about the equivalent the year before it's it's not anything huge but it just makes Mm. that connection i think you're talking about in the children's minds Mm -hmm. actually what you're learning now does connect to something you've done before it's not just a new random thing yeah and you're building this through biology chemistry and physics okay that you're building the pictures the big pictures because Mm. we want children to leave uh, primary school with these basic principles in place it's not massive tons of different facts and knowledge if you really look at it actually Mm. when those are embedded properly then they've got this they're ready you know they've got an idea of how the world works what living things are and and what things are made of they've got that overview of those three areas great that's sound advice so our final point beth that we really want to talk about was cultural capital which is something we've never spoken about in our podcast so this is the first but you've blogged on it and i was reading your blog and i found it really really quite interesting so what is it that interests you about cultural capital what does it mean for you and how does it i suppose connect to science it's really interesting because um i'm doing a project with ucl called uh, primary science capital teaching approach and there is this idea cultural capital that so you've got these children and they haven't had a lot of life experience. So we need to give them some experiences. You know, we're giving them this cultural capital because they haven't got much themselves. That's not really a great way to view it because mm-hmm. you're not valuing the child, mm-hmm. you know, and, and this is why we need balance. You know, it's not always about us filling kids up. So that's the, mm-hmm. that's the pendulum going the other way there you need to value the children from where they come from and build on that. And this particular project that we're doing is looking at the way you teach science and how children feel about themselves as sciency or not. So rather than say, well, what we're going to do is change your cultural capital. Actually, we're going to try and change the space around that. When you present science, how many different images do they see? What are the images of scientists that they see? Because they, they need to understand that there's, there's more than a white bloke in a coat, you know. Mm. So broaden what counts as well. What do they do at home? What do their parents do? How does that link to science? Mm. Because it's really interesting when you start to think about that. You know, oh, my dad's a builder. So actually your dad's really, he does loads of science. Mm. He's got to do loads of stuff with materials. You talk like that to children about their backgrounds and bring it in. So you're, you're not just changing them, you're changing the space around them. So mm. it's including them and, and, and then really sort of levelling that playing field. What counts? Mm. 
broadening what counts. So that part of cultural capital, I think we need to be careful that we're not just going around saying, taking kids to museums and taking the science museum, tick, that's done. No, it's bigger than that. It's actually shaping the science around the children. So they think, well, actually, I, I am sciencey. Mm. That word, I know it sounds, that's what we're using in the project, which is, do you, are you sciencey? How do people <laughs> see you? It's not always about children who, oh, well, I've been to the science museum and I go there and I go fossil hunting at the weekend. You know, <laughs> I mean, how can, so it's, it is about changing the perspective around the children. And I would really recommend if you're interested in that, in terms of, you know, access, look at the primary science capital teaching approach on the UCL website. I'm plugging that. We're doing the primary pilot this year and it's a teaching approach, which means you don't need to buy loads of resources. You just need to think about tweaking how you're presenting and, and talking about science in class and how it, how it is tapping into where they are. Does that make sense? I absolutely love that. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, I found that fascinating. I never thought so much actually about how classes some of our ideas are about cultural capital and I mean there's nothing wrong with wanting to broaden children's experiences but the idea of Mm. it starting from this kind of negative place or or this deficit model of missing this that or or the other actually I Mm. love that idea of celebration of everyone's prior experience and 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 lives around them and and bringing that into into the world of science i think that's a wonderful wonderful place to to end and a really good um challenge for all of us to think about in our lessons so yeah thanks beth Mm. yeah yeah well we've really enjoyed talking to you i think we've covered some really helpful things for schools science leads and teachers um if you have enjoyed this episode we really do recommend going and having a read of beth's blog she's very humble about it and doesn't like to shout about it so we'll do it on her behalf but it is really really thought-provoking um beth you write about a a really good range of areas it's always really research driven so uh thanks for giving us some of your time today Thank you. Really enjoyed it. Thanks. Oh, thank you. Don't keep the deputy.